Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. All right. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm telling you guys, something, I felt it, man. I've been, been here for a long time done a lot of worship sets, and something cracked last Sunday that, is, that I've never experienced before. And I felt like the Lord was saying that it's like just our new norm cracked. And I'm like, I'm telling you, expect to start having greater encounters. It's not like the last ones weren't okay, but expect more. Expect more. I'll be expecting a lot more testimonies of encounter throughout the week through Academy and through everything that happens in this place. It's like I feel like there's, uh, you know, I don't even know how to explain it or what the language is, but it's like there's a, it feels like there's a new open heaven over this place. So anyway, (laughs) wow, all right. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you would just help me to be articulate, God, and clear. I thank you, Lord, that everyone's heart, God, we just speak to every heart right now and thank you for fresh revelation, God, that whatever you want to say, whatever you want to speak, God, that it will be just planted deep within them, God. Wow, and I thank you, Lord, that it's going to bear much, much fruit in Jesus' name. Wow, wow, wow. All right. Well, well, did you know that it's God's plan for every single one of you to go, like we just prayed for Jane, from glory to glory. His plan is never from, like, it's not just here and then we're just gonna stay here forever. No matter how long you've been in this game for, how much you know, there is more. And the the whole idea is that he builds line upon line, right, and just keeps, and then that becomes your new norm, and then you grow again, and we continuously do this, right? Right? Now, I just want to read um, from Psalm 84, 5 through 7. I feel like this is kind of a word for tonight. This says, it says from verse 5, How enriched are they who find their strength in the Lord? Within their heart are the highways of holiness. Even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. He gives to them a brook of blessing filled from the rain of an outpouring. They grow stronger and stronger with every step forward, and the God of all gods will appear before them in Zion. That's ridiculous. The God of all gods will appear before them. Man. Regardless of the season, you don't stop growing, right? It's like a tree. Even when it's winter and it doesn't look like you're alive, you don't stop growing or the tree doesn't stop growing, right? It's just a necessary part of the season. But the natural way that God designed it is that you are continuously moving forward. Man. I want to just actually read a prophetic word that my lovely wife just released. Her name is Rebecca. I feel like I just think I just want to read this over you guys. So just kind of get yourself postured to receive for a moment. So it says, 
I was caught up in a vision and I saw God's children putting their hands in the enemy's camp and pulling out the light fuses. The entire enemy's camp light system went into a total blackout. In the vision, what I noticed about the light system was that it was like neon light, a neon light sign advertisement flashing. These signs were full of temptation and lies. When I saw the complete blackout happen, it was like all the enemy's plans of deception, enticement, and ruin were completely taken out. I felt like the Father was releasing strategies to simply see the enemy's plans and put a stop to them, pulling the plug on its effectiveness. I cannot receive this right now. I felt like the Father was releasing strategies to simply see the enemy's plans and put a stop to them. I felt that the enemy's ability to be, ability to be, totally, the enemy's ability to grab people's attention has been blocked out. God is reminding his children, Luke 10, 9, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. There is a release of precision in the spirit to see the enemy's plans and to call it out as false advertisement, to see every attack stop dead in its tracks. I felt the plans to keep the unsaved in darkness from salvation is going out and many are going to turn their hearts to the Father. Just like when you were away from the city lights or just like when you are away from the city lights, you can see the stars better. I felt as the lights and the enemy's plans are being exposed and put out, God's people will begin to see the stars of promise better. Just as Abraham did, he, reminded, he was reminded on the promises that God has for them of blessing, multiplication, inheritance, and far more than they can possibly hope or imagine. There is a change happening in the spirit. Everyone say change. The tide has turned in the battle and the promises of God are in full focus. Say full focus. Man, children of God, take hold of the promises and lay claim to your inheritance. Dang. The promises of God are in full focus. All right. <sighs> so are we ready? Okay. Well, tonight I want to talk um, out of James chapter 1. Take a little a peruse through there and just kind of pull out a few things. By the way, whenever I preach, you kind of just get a snapshot into my life with God and it can get a little like chaotic, but you just get a picture of it. So, whoa, James 1, 2, verse 4, New Living Translation to start with. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know, everyone say, for you know, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. Now in brackets, it actually says mature. Say mature. You will be mature and complete, needing nothing. In the message, it says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that. Say, you know that. Under pressure, your faith Life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an inevitable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know, say for you know, that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all, endure all things. 
And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Say nothing missing. Nothing lacking. All right. Man, I'm telling you that there is a way to view our problems, all our trials. And it says it, it's interesting, it's like it says it in all three translations, so I feel pretty safe suggesting this. It says, like, what does it say? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. It says, consider it a sheer gift. And then it says, an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy when you're facing a test or a trial. Why? For you know. What do you know? What do you know? Produces something, right? Produces perseverance, which eventually, like God's plan is to bring us all into maturity and make sure that we're lacking nothing, right? As a believer. And we, as we approach the trials and whatever is going on, he's like, James is trying to say, you should be really, really pumped when you face it. Because you know, man, this trial that I'm facing, this thing that is going on, this test, this whatever is actually leading me towards completeness and fullness and lacking nothing. And there's a way to look at it. And I'm telling you, like I can't say, like I'm starting to experience this just a little bit. And I'm telling you, it, it kind of, it's like, it's weird, but it's like, man, every challenge, everything that's uncomfortable that I say yes to because Holy Spirit's asked to, it's like it starts to just make it, it starts to get like, whoa, I can see why I've, why I've been doing this or why I'm going to this, and it starts to produce. You start to see a little bit of the why behind what's happening, and it's no longer this like taking a personal thing about me that's like, well, why is this happening to me, God? It's like, no, that's not the point. <laughs> this is like, you know, he's, it's like it's happening and it's there to, to one, expose what's actually going on inside of me. It, it kind of, it's like a, a light that highlights where my faith is at, and it's not about a a pass or a fail kind of moment, right? It's just like, okay, well, now I know. Now I can do something about it, and I'm going to go again, and I'm going to go again. And eventually, the things that used to bother you and that you so-called would fail at, you stop failing, and you start to grow and experience more, and it starts to get really exciting, and you see what it's all about, right? <laughs> I just talked very fast for a long time. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Whew, I'm going to take a drink break. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right, so let's talk about the tests of our faith. Everyone say tests of our faith. Now, if you think about a test, right? A test by nature has nothing to do with our value, but everything to do with, or it's basically there to prove a competency in something, right? It's not a determination of value. It's like my daughter Mia, so she she's, an avid dancer. She does ballet and jazz dance exams and all this thing. Now, based on how she goes with her test has nothing to do with her, the bearing of her value as an individual, does it? Like, that'd be ridiculous. But it does have a bearing on her competency in the area of ballet and dance based on her experience and her competency. Does that make sense? All right, so if there's a test of faith, Right? It's not an attempt to determine God's love or value for you in any way, right? Right? At all. But it's simply there for you to find out the level of competency 
based on your understanding and your experience and help bring you to maturity. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a like, oh, I didn't pass it. Just like, you know, like, do you guys remember, was anyone here for the platform example a while back? Two, three people, it's not going to help. But so you know, it's like, there's, it's a, like, remember, if it's condemning and it's that sort of thing, it's not helping us and it's not a part of where we stand in the finished work of Christ. So we shouldn't go there, right? And that's why, in my opinion, you're supposed to be pumped about it when you face a test. Because it's got nothing to do with how God sees me and how he feels about me or how I should feel about myself. It's simply just an observation on my current level of competency. So what are the tests? And so I believe that the tests of faith are basically a test of what you really believe. All right, because you are the product of your thoughts and your beliefs, right? You know, like you're not the product of your environment, right? I know we kind of can say that. See, your, your environment can actually influence your beliefs, which then cause you to become the product of those beliefs. But you, aren't, you are actually the product of your beliefs. So the good news is, though, that because your thoughts are something that's within your, that's actually something that is within your power to change. And that means you are not locked into or restricted by your environment. That should be a really freeing thought. Like that's like a Joseph kind of biblical thought. Right? No matter where he was, he would rise to the top. Whether he was a slave, whether he was in a prison, or whether he was in a palace, he would make the most out of whatever went on and was able to handle. There was never an excuse to live below what God had called him to live as. All right, so you face a situation, right? Now, whatever you believe about that situation will determine how you respond, right? It's like in James, it says like, it's talking about show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? It's just like, I'll show you the evidence of what I believe by how I behave. In other words, what you believe will be evidenced by how you behave and what you do. It's not how you would like to respond or how you wish you would respond or how you're supposed to respond. You simply respond based on the mindset that you currently have towards a situation, right? And then typically those beliefs, mindsets, or perspectives will be backed up by the way we speak. We know this, right? So we face these tests in life. How we respond is the evidence of what we believe and where our faith is currently at, right? Like in the message, it says, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. So the test exposes what you really believe, which is amazing because now you can do something with it. You know, it's like if you never actually get out of your comfort zone, it's very easy to just suggest that you're very confident and happy to do, like it's not a real picture of whether you actually have to believe something. It's not until, <laughs> that you, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's not until you have to do something that you're not comfortable with, that Holy Spirit's like, hey, I want you to do that, that it actually is revealed, right? Oh. So James is like, because you know this, you should approach the unique set of challenges that are in front of you with joy and see them as a gift. Man, 
And like it says in Psalm 84, 6, even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others only find pain. Man. So if we need faith to pass the test that will bring us to maturity, the, re the relevant question would be, how do I increase my faith? Right? So, because <laughs> it's all good and rather depressing to just kind of go, well, life will, you know, kind of let you know where your faith's at, at the end. Like, that's not where it ends, right? So how do you actually increase your faith? All right, so who can tell me, this should be a no-brainer, how does faith come? I had a couple of people, by hearing, right? We know this, so it's Romans 10, 17, in the New King James. So then faith comes, old school New King, no, no, just King James would be cometh, by hearing, and hearing by the word, everyone say word, of God. All right, now there are two Greek words, there could be more, <laughs> oh, master Greeksman over here. It's really intimidating talking using Greek language around someone that knows it really well. I think I should officially become the Macedonian expert in the church, though, particularly around Macedonian cuisine. Um, I'm just going to put my nomination out there for that. All right, so two Greek words um, translated as the word in the Bible, right? That's logos and rhema. Say that for me. Logos and rhema. That's not how you say it, I don't think. But Definition of, okay, so now I had a look at an article on these two words, um, and it, was, it actually is drawing out, um, taking some excerpts from a book by a man named Bill Hammond. Okay, and it's titled Prophets and Personal Prophecy, God's Prophetic Voice Today. So it says, in my research, I came across a book, the one I just said. In this book, he explained both words thus. The Logos is the general word of God that communicates his ability to do something or his general will on a matter, while a rhema is the word the Holy Spirit quickens to a specific person for a specific situation. All right, he used various analogies to describe this relationship, and some are, the Logos is a well of water, while the Rima is a bowl of water from that well. The Logos is a piano's keys, while the Rima is a single key playing. A Logos is the entire body, while the Rima is one part in operation. The Logos and Rima are always in alignment with one another. Very important point. Of note is this statement that the rhema could be a scripture or a word spoken to you by someone or quickened directly to your heart. Thus, what are the practical ways to use your newfounded understanding of rhema and logos? Number one, know the word or know the logos. Say logos. How familiar are you with the word of God? Remember the logos is the well. If you don't know where the well is or how how would you be able to ever take a bowl of water out of the well? Pastor Catherine actually said this the other day, I think. William Edwy Vines, an expository dictionary of New Testament words, explains that rhema is the individual scripture which the Spirit, say the Spirit, brings to our remembrance for use in time of need. A prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. All right, you're following me. I know I'm reading a lot here. So two, so get the rhema of God on a matter. So there are some issues that are clear-cut in Scripture, such as stealing, bribery, fornication, etc. 
but there are countless number of situations where we need to have God's perspective. In these times, don't just, you don't just do what makes sense for you in the moment, but press for a revelation of God's specific word to you. This is rhema for you in that moment. All right, so in closing, let's look at a scripture. Okay, so he goes on to talk about it. So that scripture I read before, Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, so the Logos is very, very important. All right, it's the word, right? You can read this, and that doesn't mean you're automatically going to have faith. Do you know what I'm saying? I know, I've tried it. That's why you can be like, you go to like a faith conference or whatever, and you're like, oh yeah, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, okay, I'm hearing the word, I'm reading the word, oh, I'm going to just pray my best scripture. It's like, that's not rhema. Okay, there's logos, and you need it, obviously. But okay, so rhema, though, is when the Holy Spirit takes something from the logos, 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 whatever, takes something from the logos and then applies it to you in a specific situation for a, and quickens it to you about that situation that you're facing. That is a rhema word from God, and that's where faith comes. Does that make sense? So now... If you don't have the Logos there, then you can't actually, we can't get to that next step. But, so it's, but you need both working together. Does it make sense so far? Now, interestingly, Ephesians 6, 17, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which one do you think it is? The rhema Word of God. You don't just fight by picking up the Bible and speaking random scriptures. I mean, it's not, can't be bad, right? But faith, you fight the enemy by a uniquely intimate and connected relationship with the Holy Spirit that then brings up the word that is implanted within you and that comes up and quickens to you about that situation. Now, I don't know every scripture in there at the moment. It doesn't matter. Again, I'm not feeling bad about it. But I'd start, like, I'm seeing it. Or, you know what? It's like James Gold says that if, to say that you can't hear God and not read the Word is like keeping your phone off and complaining that you're not getting phone calls. So you may not have it all there, it doesn't matter, but it's like when you face a problem, where should you be going? Like, and not just random, it's like, hey, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What are you wanting to say to me? What is your Word specific about that situation? Because then that's where faith comes. You with me? All right, let's move on. James 1, 5 through 8. And if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. It's amazing, just as a first step there, that here is an invitation to ask when you lack. I tell you, I ask the Lord all the time for things. And, you know, especially when I feel flat or whatever, it's like I ask the Lord to make me hungry. It's like a totally legal press. Like, ask him, and it's like it says that he will, he's not going to scold you or make you feel bad about it. He'll overwhelm you, overwhelm you with his generous grace. There is, though, just one condition that when you ask, if you read on through verse 6, it says, just make sure. Everyone say, make sure. 
You ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. That's a big but or if in there, right? For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? Sounds like a heavy statement, James. It's like, chill out, mate. But he's actually, like, he's suggesting, are you actually, like, how can you expect to receive something when you're in that state? You're believing and then you're doubting. You're believing and you're doubting, right? It's, it's, it's important. Now, I want to kind of give an example of, um, you know, what I feel like this is kind of suggesting. Jesse, I'm going to need you, my man. Jesse Cheeseman, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to need those basketballs. We might have to do it down here. Maybe just like stand here and you can chuck them up, chuck them along there. All right. All right, so how many of you guys know that expectancy, I'm gonna bring this down just in case I need it, that expectancy has a posture, right? All right, no, that's good, that's good. So let's say, Jesse, grab one of the balls. Jesse's gonna throw me a ball, all right? Now, naturally, there's a posture that I have to take if I'm gonna catch this ball, right? Even with one hand, it's okay. I watched Michael Jordan videos when I was a kid, so just be gentle. Yeah, throw it over. All right, so that was a posture. Very, very simple and obvious, right, B? All right, now, there's something about the way, what was I doing? I was looking at Jess, kind of had my hands out ready. Pass it again. All right, and I'm keeping my eye on the ball. That's talking about how can you, so what does it say? How can you expect to receive anything from the Lord when you are believing one minute and you're basically undecided about what you actually believe? All right, or, you know, and you're not really, and it says when you ask, believe that you receive or expect, right? I kind of feel like the approach is, now, by the way, Jesse is Jesus, <laughs> classic choice. The basketball is a blessing, all right? Now, what I'm going to do, just at some point, I want you just to pass me the ball, all right? So let's, let's say I've got my hands in my pocket. This is what I feel like we can be like sometimes, right? So it's like, just kind of doing our thing. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. I wasn't expecting it. That's <laughs> helps my point. No, that's right. That was good. All right. I was. <laughs> so the point is, what am I doing? And then it's kind of like, all right, just yeah, just yeah, pass it again at some point. So I'm just kind of like doing this, right? And we can kind of be like, oh well, you know, if the Lord wants to bless me, then He will. You know, He knows where I am. It's okay. I'll just kind of do my thing or like, or another option is kind of like, God, have you seen my problem over here? You need to come look at this. And he's like, I want to help you. I've got something for you. I'm like, yeah, I know, but come and look at my problem. Am I in a position to receive right now? Not at all, right? And I feel like that's what expectancy, well, that's a picture of expectancy, right? For one, if I'm just being casual about it, it's like, oh, I'm not ready for it. My hands aren't up. I'm not looking. I'm not paying attention. It's like, how can I? It's like James. He's saying, how can you expect to receive something? I don't think James is having a go. I'm like, it's not logical that you could expect 
when you're double-minded and don't even know what you believe and are undecided in your belief system, it's like, how can you receive it? I don't think it's possible. Not because God, there's something wrong with the giver or that there's something wrong with you being able to receive, right? But what's got to happen? I've got to get my eyes. It's like when you're training a kid how to catch, what do you say? Like, have you ever tried to help a two or three-year-old catch a ball? It's like, eyes on the ball, eyes on the ball. And it's like, hey, put your hands out. And then they might like kind of do this one. All right? And sometimes when we're trying to receive from the Lord, that's what it's like, right? It's like, and, it's like, and he's like, he's not cool. But I actually kind of think, if you follow my analogy, sometimes he's like, man, I want to give you something, but you're not looking. So just, and just pass them all at me at some point. So it's like, he's like, I want to throw these like blessings at you. Put them, just go beside as well. Yep. And it's like, you can say, oh, God's not blessing me. And it's like, if you're not looking, how do you know that he's not constantly sending basketballs your way? It's like, if you're not paying attention, how do you know? Does that make sense? Anyway, give Jesse a hand, yeah. And look after that pink one because that's my daughter's. I took it from her room. I was like, hey, can I use this tonight? And she just looked at me like, what are you going to do with it, Dad? <laughs> um, anyway, does that make sense? So I think when he's saying, can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? It's not, it's not like condemning and harsh. It's like, man, I don't think it's possible. Does that make sense? Man. Oh. So there's something so huge about our expectancy and how it is related to what we receive. Not because he's holding out on passing the ball, but perhaps because he's waiting for you to look at him and get your hands up so he can actually pass it to you. Whew. Man. It's got nothing to do with how the Lord feels about you, hey? Your ability to receive. But everything to do with how you learn to lay hold of by faith that which has been promised. It's important, so important that you become clear on what you believe. And again, it's like wherever you're at, take the next step. Get in the Logos. Man. And it's a crucial part of the maturing and stability of the Christian walk. That you are decided in your heart what you believe. All right. So let's move on. James 1, 19 through 21. Now this is interesting. So the context, like what's he talking about? He's talking about passing the tests of faith, challenges that produces maturity, rah 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 when you ask, believe, the whole thing, right? And then there's this little verse in there that says, oh yeah, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Remember the context. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? Verse 19. Now, I always read that verse in the context of it's just like one-on-one -on -one relationships with people, right? Now, in the footnotes in my Bible, Brian Simmons suggests that although the Greek does not supply an object we are to listen to, it's obvious in the context that we should listen to one another, to God's voice, and to his word. Now, remember the context where we're talking about passing tests of faith, perspective, and whatnot. And right in the middle, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, be quick to listen. You know, one translation says, be quick to hear. And remember, how does faith come? By hearing. Be quick to hear. Faith comes by hearing. 
when you're facing trials and tests of your faith, one of the best things that you can do is posture yourself to hear. Like when you're out of your depth or when you're like, I don't know what's going on, getting into a place, you know, it's like reading the Word and posturing yourself. See, is it possible? I think it is. I believe it's possible to cultivate and practice being in a posture of hearing and listening for the Holy Spirit and listening for His voice. So it's not like, you know, a three-hour process or a week and whatever if it is, right? But it's like, but I think it's such an important and interesting that he puts that right in there. Oh, man. And I think it's the same. It's, just, it's a part of that posture of expectancy. Now, Isaiah, let's just go random for a sec. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Right? They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run, not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, the Hebrew word there for wait is to look for, hope, and expect, to wait or look eagerly, or to lie in wait for. All right, who lies in wait? That's like what a hunter does. So think about this. So it's those who lie in wait for the Lord with eager expectation shall renew their strength. It's not just because you're waiting for the Lord to do something that you renew your strength. Again, it's with expectation I'm bringing this to the table. And I'm waiting. It's like, hey, where are you, God? Where's that, where's that thing coming from? What are you going to do? And it's posturing that. Does that make sense? I think it's like your longevity and consistency is directly connected to how you steward your hope and expectation while waiting. Does that make sense? It's like there's something, we actually got something to do while we're waiting. It's not just, I'm just waiting whenever you're ready, Lord. No, it's like, hey, I'm keeping my heart full of the Logos so that when the Holy Spirit wants to bring a rhema word from the Logos to me, which then brings faith so I can do whatever, it's like it's all there. And I'm not waiting for the moment. It's like you don't wait till game day to start training, do you? <laughs> it's like you don't wait until you're faced with a situation to start growing your faith or getting in the Word. I mean, that's what I've done for a long time, for sure. But like not anymore, thank goodness. There's something to be said for the consistent daily. When it feels great and when it doesn't, you're putting it in there. And you might not feel it, but I'm telling you it's doing something. And when it comes to game day, <laughs> you'll be great, grateful that it's there. And again, like, make sure you hear this, like, under grace and the whole deal. Because it's not like God bailed on us because we're not, we're not like that. Man, it's like you could never do this. And I'm telling you, God's grace would be there to help you. But the point is that we're not just there at the mercy of life, right? It says, what does it say? One of the scriptures here, okay, verse 12, it says, if your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. It's like the goal is that you become the overcomer. That the thing that was meant to happen or was going to happen that was bad doesn't happen because you showed up. Because you've stewarded 
what God has put in your life and the Word of God has grown up and been planted in you and grown up and been watered and watered and watered so that when the situation come, what comes up? The Word of God is quickened to you and there's faith there and then boom, what was gonna be is no longer because you showed up and released the power of the Word of God in faith. And I'm telling you, like I'm, I'm sick of just letting what's gonna happen happen. And I'm telling you, man, it's <laughs> the invitation's there. Oh. And you know, it also says, so this whole like, th- those who wait on the Lord, it says they will run and not grow weary. Hope and expectation, waiting and li- lying in wait for the Lord, somehow is connected to not growing weary, even though you're running. Like that's the Bible. You'll walk and not faint. Could it be, here's a thought, if you're tired, that perhaps you need to do a checkup on your hope and expectation? Just a thought. Ah, man. So how thankful should we be then? Man. All right. Let's move on. James 1, 22, 24. How are we doing? Nine o'clock. You guys all right? Okay. Okay, so it says, verse 22, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let the word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life, aka be a doer of the word. Verse 23, if you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. Now the footnote says, the realizing his beginning or his Genesis face or your new creation face. So the word, what do we know? Is an accurate mirror, say accurate mirror, of how God sees you and how you ought to see yourself. And it doesn't say if you hear the word and don't do it, then you're a horrible person and should give up, right? What does it say? You've just forgotten. That's a simple answer. So if you're you're struggling to do, then maybe you need to go back and remember through the mirror of the word who you are a little more. You don't need to just feel bad about not doing. It doesn't say feel bad about it. It says if you don't do it, then you've forgotten. So remember. And the more you remember, right, the more you will do. It's like the more I see and remind myself, renewing your mind, being transformed, right? The whole thing. It's like this all, it's funny, it's amazing to me how this entire Nearly this entire chapter had such a heavy negative connotation when, like, I used to read this, right? Even when I'm reading it. But it's like none of it's like, he's not having a go at anyone. He's just like, man, remember. Far out. It's simple. Everyone say simple. All right. So I want to read to you guys a... um, a letter from a man named Hudson Taylor. Does anyone know who Hudson Taylor is? Okay, now this guy was a a Christian missionary in the 1800s. I think 1830 he was born, died about 1905. And he was the first missionary 
to the interior of China. Like hardcore, right? This guy, and so I, I found this guy, like I used to, I read books on him when I was a kid, but I found this, there's a letter that he wrote to his sister. And I found it when I was watching this YouTube by Catherine Kuhlman, and it was called The Spiritual Secret I Learned from Hudson Taylor. So let me just read about Hudson quickly. So it says, one of the first missionaries to take the gospel to the interior, primarily because of the, his campaign against the opium trade, Taylor has been referred to as one of the most significant Europeans to visit China in the 19th century. Historian Ruth Tucker summarizes the theme of his life. No other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systemized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. Taylor was able to preach in several varieties of Chinese, including Mandarin, Chaozhou, and the Wu dialects of Shanghai and Ningbo. The last of these he knew well enough to help prepare a colloquial edition of the New Testament written in it. This is Hudson Taylor. This is what we're talking about, okay? Now, this is a point, point I want to make before I read this letter that happened in 1869. So before this letter and this moment, all right, he'd already had an amazing impact for the gospel. He'd already stepped out in faith, believed God, and done these incredible, incredible things for God that would be like for any of us kind of like, you know what, if I did that and, and died and went to heaven, that would be a solid life. All right, but then he has this moment. And I want to read this to you now. So can you guys bear with me? Lock in and then we'll be kind of done. All right, it says, My own dear sister, so many thanks to you for your long dear letter. I do, do not think you have written me such a letter since we have been in China. I know it is with you as with me. You cannot, not you will not. Mind and body will not bear more than a certain amount of strain or do more than a certain amount of work. As to work, mine was never so plentiful so responsible or so difficult, but the weight and strain are all gone. Say the weight and the strain are all gone. So nothing, it hasn't been hard, it's gotten harder and more plentiful and more responsible, but the weight and strain are all gone. The last month or more has been perhaps the happiest of my life, and I long to tell you a little of what the Lord has done for my soul. I do not know how far I may be able to make myself intelligible about it, for there is nothing new or strange or wonderful. Say nothing new or strange or wonderful. And yet all is new. In a word, where, whereas once I was blind, now I see. Now this was, he was already a Christian, right? Perhaps I shall make myself more clear if I go back a little. Well, dearie, my mind has been greatly exercised for six to eight months past, feeling the need personally for our mission of more holiness, life, power in our souls. But personal need stood first and was the greatest. I felt the ingratitude, the danger, the sin of not living nearer to God. I prayed, agonized, fasted, strove, made resolutions, read the word more, diligently sought more time for retirement and meditation, but all was without effect. Sound familiar? Every day, almost every hour, the consciousness of sin oppressed me. I knew that if I could only abide in Christ, all would be well, but I could not. I began the day with prayer, determined not to take my eye from him for a moment, but pressure of duties, sometimes very timing, constant interruptions, apt to be so wearing, often cause me to forget him. Then one's nerves get so fretted in this climate that temptations to irritability, hard thoughts, and sometimes unkind words are all the more difficult to control. Each day brought its register of sin and failure, of lack of power. 
To will was indeed present with me, but how to perform I found not. Then came the question, is there no rescue? Must it be thus to the end? Constant conflict instead of victory, too often defeat. How too could I preach with sincerity to those who received Jesus? To them gave he power to become sons of God when it was not in my own experience. Instead of growing stronger, I seem to be getting weaker and to have less power against sin. And no wonder, for faith and even hope were getting very low. I hated myself. I hated my sin. I mean, this guy had been going for a while, right? I hated my sin, and yet I gained no strength against it. I felt I was a child of God. His spirit in my heart would cry in spite of all Abba Father. But to rise to my privileges as a child, I was utterly powerless. I thought that holiness, practical holiness, was to be gradually attained by a diligent use of of the means of grace. I felt that there was nothing to do, nothing I so much desired in this world, nothing I so much needed. But so far from any measure attaining it, the more I pursued and strove after it, the more it eluded my grasp, till hope itself almost died out and I began to wonder, see this is how it works, to think that perhaps to make heaven the sweeter, God would not give it down here. I do not think I was striving to attain it in my own strength. I knew I was powerless. I told the Lord so and asked him to give me help and strength. And sometimes I almost believed he would keep and uphold me. But on looking back in the evening, alas, there was but sin and failure to confess and mourn before God. I would not give the impression that this was the daily experience of all those long, weary months. But it was, now get this, but it was a too frequent state of soul that towards which I was tending and which almost ended in despair. And yet never did Christ seem more precious. So it's not about the way he felt about the Lord and his genuine heart. All right, a saviour who could and would save such a sinner. And sometimes, say sometimes, there were seasons not only of peace, but of joy in the Lord. Say seasons. So there were seasons of joy, seasons of things going well. All right, does that sound familiar? I relate to this a lot but they were transitory and at best there was a sad lack of power. Oh, how good the Lord was in bringing this conflict to an end. All the time I felt assured that there was in Christ all I needed, but the practical question was how to get it out. He was rich truly, but I was poor. He's strong, but I weak. I knew full well that there was in the root, the stem, abundant fatness, but how to get it into my puny little branch was the question. I gradually, as gradually the light was dawning on me, I saw that faith, say faith, faith. that comes by what? Faith. All right. I saw that faith was the only prerequisite, was the hand to lay hold of his fullness and make it my own. But I had not this faith. I strove for it, but it would not come. Tried to exercise it, but in vain. Does anyone relate with me? Seeing more and more the wondrous supply of grace laid up in Jesus, the fullness of our precious Saviour, my helplessness and guilt seemed to increase. Sins committed appeared but as trifles compared with the sin of unbelief, which was their cause, which could not or would not take God at His word, but rather made Him a liar. Unbelief was, I felt, the damning sin of the world, yet I indulged it, I prayed for faith, but it came not. What was I to do? Right. When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy, that was a John McCarthy in Hangchow, who was another missionary. 
was used to remove the scales from my eyes. Say scales. Interesting, there was only one thing that needed to happen. And the Spirit of God, say the Spirit of God, revealed. Sounds like a little bit of rhema was happening. Revealed the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, all right, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting in the faithful one. How to get faith strengthened? It is not by trying to get faith. But the one thing that turned this Christian missionary's entire life, what did he say at the beginning? I'm working harder than I ever have. I'm doing more than I ever have. But I have never been as fruitful and happy and whatever, right? The one thing that changed was he saw that the whole point, and if I could kind of sum up this whole thing, it's like the whole point was resting in the faith of the faithful one, or resting on the faithful one, sorry. You know what essentially that means to me is that the whole point is that do I trust that Christ is who He said He is and do I trust that what He said He has accomplished for me is real and true? It's not trying to believe all these things and trying to believe. It's like it starts and it's there. Do I believe that this is the inspired Word of God and am I going to rest? That means I'm not going to try and test it to see if it's true. Am I going to rest and sink into the reality that that is the truth? I'm relying and putting all my chips in the basket of he, what He says. Can you handle a tiny bit more letter? Sorry, just let me quickly read this. As I read, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. What is he doing? He saw it all. He saw a scripture that the Holy Spirit quickened to him. Therefore, faith, right? I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy overflowed, that he had said, I will never leave you. Ah, there is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to rest in him. I'll strive no more. For, he is not, for has he not promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me? And dearie, he never will. The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being sweeter than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I'm no longer anxious about anything as I realize this. For he, man, I'm going to try and read this. For he, I know, is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. Now get this. Man, Ugh, can't see. <laughs> it makes no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For in the easiest positions, he must give me his grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. It little matters to my servant whether I send him to buy a few coins worth of things or the most expensive articles. In either case, he looks to me for the money and brings me his purchase. So if God puts me in great perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. 
in circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength, no fear that his resources will be unequal to the emergency. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're like, why God, have you put me in a place that's a lot harder than the person next to me? Is there a suggestion that there's only a certain amount of grace to go around? Or is the reality that if God's put you in a greater place of need, then the resource and the depth of grace available to you will, will match that need? That's what he's saying, right? For his resources are mine and he is mine and is with me and dwells in me. All his, this springs from the believer's oneness with Christ. And since Christ has thus dwelt in my heart by faith, how happy I have been. Man, I wish I could tell you. I now believe I am dead to sin. Say dead to sin. Now listen to this. I know you guys get this, but listen. God reckons me so and tells me to reckon myself so. He knows best. All of my past experiences may have shown that it is not so. Say not so. But I dare not say it is not now when he says it is. I dare not say what my past experiences obviously show when he says that's not the truth. And there's something really like about who you are honoring and who are you, like who, like it's worship really, who you are honoring. Are you honoring your experience or are you gonna honor what the word says about you, what he says about you? And he's got to this point where he's like, I dare not say, man, even though my experience tells me, I feel and know that old things have passed. I'm as capable of sinning as ever, but Christ is realized as present as never before. He cannot sin and he keeps, can keep me from sinning. I cannot say I am sorry to have to confess it, that since I have seen this light, I have not sinned. But I do feel there is no need to have done so. And further, walking more in the light, my conscience has been more tender. Sin has been instantly seen, confessed and pardoned. And peace and joy with humility instantly restored. Say instantly restored. I'm telling you, he saw something. With one exception, for when several hours peace and joy did not return from want as I had to learn of full confession and from some attempt to justify self. So he's like, one time it didn't come straight away, but that's because I was trying to justify my sin instead of just repent of it. <laughs> like, and now I must close. Thanks for bearing with me, by the way, everyone. I have not said half of I would, nor as I would had I more time. May God give you to lay hold of these blessed truths. Say blessed truths. Do not let us continue to say, in effect, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. In other words, do not let us consider him as afar off. When God has made us one with him, don't let me hear you say that God is far off when he's made us one with him. I don't want to hear you say it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Man. Nor should we look upon this experience, say this experience, these truths as for the few. They are the birthright of every child of God. Oh, man. This makes me just lose it. And no one can dispense with them without dishonor to our Lord. This is the thing. It's like you read that. This guy, 
experienced a stability and a consistency. And what did Catherine Kuhlman say? The spiritual secret I learned from Hudson Taylor. He learned through what? One simple thing, a rhema word from the Holy Spirit, how to, that his faith or his trust was reliant on the faithful one, Jesus. That's it. And he learned how to stay and sit consistently in joy, unmoved. And I like, you know, it's like, it's like, I just have got this, I just know that I know that it is an option or it is the goal. Like he said, it is the birthright of every believer. He's not a special human being that had a special anointing that God specially chose and that's why he got it. He basically, <laughs> sounds like, in 1869 had a revelation of righteousness because of a letter because he'd obviously filled his life with the Logos Word of God that then the Holy Spirit could take and release to him a rhema word that filled him with faith to see. And nothing changed. Things got harder. But every single thing changed. I'm telling you. And you know, it's like, I get it. Like things happen and we go up and down. But it bothers me if we talk as Christians like that should be the norm that there would be seasons of joy and peace. Right? Does that bother anyone? Like, I'm convinced the gospel is not, and you know, it's like we're growing, right? What's the point? We're maturing. We're becoming. We're saying, yes, Holy Spirit, Logos Word, Rhema Word, the whole thing, everything we've talked about, we're asking so that we are this. Sorry, snapped in the mic. This experience, these truths are not just for the few. And I tell you what, that is the point. It's not about a leveling off. Like it doesn't matter, like whatever you are up to right now, whatever your current revelation, I'm telling you, God has more. And you know what? We're the ones, like it says, ah. <sighs> Where's that scripture? Psalm 84. Like I read at the start. Even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep. It says they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. And it's not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. If he says it is so, who am I to say that it isn't so? I'm telling you, that's, that's, a, that's a healthy fear of God statement. Where does it say that wisdom begins in Proverbs? Fear of the Lord is the beginning, the starting point of wisdom, understanding. Imagine what it would be like if we would dare not say something is when the Lord says that it isn't. And all your past experience may have shown that it is not so, but I dare not say not now when he says it is. Far out. The experience of being one with him and being mature and lacking nothing is available to every believer. And I'm telling you, I'm up for it. I feel like the Lord is offering the invitation. You know what? I guess technically 
It's always there and it's always been there. But I feel like that he's offering an invitation, like what did Beck say in her word? That there is a focus on the promises of God. Not just you getting your bill paid, although that can happen. Not just you getting your answer, but what does God promise to us and what can we receive? Oh, far out. You know what's interesting as well is that it's like, it's changing your belief is as simple as like a light bulb moment, turning a light on. There's like nothing wrong with any of you. Say that for me. There is nothing wrong with me. You may, have just, you may just need to remember. That should be encouraging. You may just need to remember. Far out. All right. Whew. Well, would you stand with me? Oh. Now, I want to point out, talking about unbelief, going on an unbelief hunt is not going to help you deal with unbelief. It's like, I, I was talking to Pastor Kay about this. I was like, you know, unbelief, what, what is, how does it work? Because the Bible talks about it, doubt and unbelief. It's a big deal. But she's like, I want to deal with unbelief by focusing on unbelief. Like, you don't deal with sin by focusing on sin. What do you, that's like poking the corpse and trying to produce something, right? That's what Catherine said, Pastor Catherine. It's like, I, f I focus like with the basketball. I focus my eyes, my posture, my hands. Let's use that as an example of worship. I focus it all on Him. Yeah? Oh, what if it could be just as simple as something changing in your mind? And nothing around you changes, but everything changes. Is anyone up for that? Let me see your hands if you're up for that. Wow. Well, I feel like we need to just respond to the Lord tonight. So if there's a yes in you for that, and I want to add in there, if there's a yes in you to surrender, lay it down and say yes and kind of get in this place where it's like, again, it's not, if you're feeling bad, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. But there's a place to stay. You know what? I am, what is, man, what does he say? One second. I dare not say it not now when he says it is. That I dare not say, or speak about myself or anyone else in a way that isn't right if he doesn't say it. Amen? <laughs> Yo. I thought the Holy Spirit left for a minute. I was like, whoa. It's okay. <laughs> what I say? <laughs> All right, well, I feel like we need to respond. And if, if anyone needs to go home, be released. But I want to make room on the altar. I feel like that this is important. Like, it's not a fearful or a heavy thing, but it's a sincere thing, right? If you want to, like, get in that spot where you're like, hey, I'm up for it. And you, wanna, you need to respond. I just want to just come down the front, find some space right now.
Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.